Good morning, Hillsdale. I want to start this morning with what I consider a pretty normal human question. In fact, my good guess is that you were likely asked that question a few times this morning. The question is, after all, the way of us as people. What I would, before I tell you what the question is, I'd like to change the question, intensify the question, if, I, if you will allow me. I'd like to change the question into some level of urgent question in, because of our subject matter this morning. In fact, since we're going to study John 14 today, let me ask you the question with the intensity and intimacy of John 14 in mind. Ready for the question? That normal human question, how are you doing today? Now, maybe you would respond with nice words, words like, I'm doing great or good or okay. That's cool. But maybe you are in a place because of your week, because of the year, I, I don't know. You would confess that words like struggling or off balance or afraid might fit your life better. For the disciples of Christ at John 14, in the moments right after they shared that supper, that last supper with Jesus, I would tell you it's that second set of words that fit better than the first set of words. The disciples were not doing well. They were in turmoil. They knew they were in trouble. And all that was true even though they certainly did not know what that night or the next day would bring. Back to us. How are you doing today? There's little doubt that in our lives, that our lives are not like the first century disciples we're going to talk about in John 14. Facing the final week of Christ's life on earth. But unless you are purposely blurring the realities of our world, or even that you are somehow trying to ignore the realities of your own life, it is likely that you've come here today needing the Lord's assurance with this question. You see, I think I know what you know. We all want a good life, don't we? We want to be okay. We want to feel okay. We do not like the idea of some impossible life circumstances coming at us, and we certainly don't want crisis. Now, I begin this way in, for a couple of reasons. First, if we are going to hear what the Lord has to say to us in John 14, we need to see that the disciples of Jesus were in a very difficult spot in life. It's not too much to describe their life circumstances with the word crisis. If you were able to interview maybe Philip or Peter or John in those moments, you would hear them say that they knew their world was falling apart. They were confused and frightened. That's reason one. The second reason we start this way is because if we here in this room on this February day, 2024, if we are going to live well before the Lord today, we need to see how vulnerable we are without the Lord And how safe we are with the Lord in every life circumstance. John 14 is an incredible statement 
of God's promise and presence. And I would tell you that we all need John 14 today. Most of our time is going to be spent in John 14, but I think it would be good for us to think about John 14 to 17 as a whole for a few moments. We're going to come to John 18 with the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. But in John 14 to 17, Jesus is talking with disciples in the last hours of his, quote, normal life with them. These words are deeply intimate and powerful and are aimed at the realities that the disciples were facing. As Jesus talked with them, the disciples were aware that the enemies of Christ were after him. They had lived with Jesus for three years. They believed in him. They liked that life, they remained, but they remained confused about what God was doing. There's no doubt that the fact that the religious leaders were trying to arrest Jesus was challenging their personal security as well. They knew that their relationship with Jesus was putting them in the crosshairs of judgment as well. So they were living with real anxiety. We've seen that anxiety building as, we've, as we approach John 14. For example, go back to where we started in this series of messages to John 11 and the story of Lazarus. The disciples did not want to go to Jerusalem. They were down somewhere. And yet Lazarus had died in Bethany, just mere steps from Jerusalem. They didn't want to go. And when Jesus said, no, we're going, it was Thomas who said fatalistically, and I quote from John eleven sixteen, let us also go that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like joy to me. And we saw the, the anxiety in John 12, where before and during and after that triumphal entry, the disciples, if you read between the lines, were so aware that, the growing, that there was growing tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. We also saw it in John 13, where Jesus, in a troubled state, strongly stated during that Last Supper meal, one of you is going to betray me. What? We also saw that anxiety at the end of chapter 13, where Peter boisterously promises Jesus that he'll go with Jesus anywhere, and he'll even die with Jesus, only to have Jesus turn to him and say, actually, Peter, you are going to be a serial denier. It is with this buildup of struggle and question and fear that we come to John 14. And so how are the disciples doing at John 14? Not well. Words like struggling, off balance, afraid, confused, crisis certainly fit their story. Now there was Jesus here too. For his part, as we said last week, Jesus knew of the hour. He knew what was coming. He knew the hour of his suffering had come, which meant as well, and don't miss this because it's critical in our, in our chapter today, he also knew that the hour of his departure had come. And Jesus knew what was happening, but his disciples did not know Jesus what Jesus was talking about. And in fact, it's easy to see that they were busy trying to hang on to, quote, normal life. They had followed Jesus for three years, and they wanted more of the same. 
And in fact, they wanted better than the same. They wanted Jesus to be clearly and forcefully presented as a Messiah. But it's Thursday night at John 14 to 17. Dinner is done. Judas has left under his dark cloud. And Peter has been warned about his immediate future. Then for the next minutes, and it is only a few minutes, because John 14 to 17, if you read it out loud, it would be what, 15, 20, 25 minutes at the most or so? So even for the next minutes, Jesus will talk to his precious disciples and give them assurance that he, that they would be okay. Why? Because he would not leave them alone. You see, what we find in John 14 to 17 is really good news. Good news right into the face of turmoil. In these moments of intimate assurance, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is to come. And what is to come? Yes, you and I know death and departure. But because of that death and because of that departure, a new and glorious normal, followed by an extraordinary plan of God normal. Get this, don't miss this. And it all came down to whether or not Jesus would, was going to be with them or not. Did you hear that? Jesus knew. Jesus already told his disciples of the departure. But it seems like they didn't really believe that he was actually going to leave them behind. And yet not only was that going to happen, it was going to happen really soon. It is with this tension in the story that we get to the cherished words of correction, assurance, and promise of John 14. Words that we could easily argue are the most, the ultimate of spiritual assurances spoken into the ultimate of spiritual vulnerabilities. Here Jesus goes to great lengths to assure his followers that they will indeed be okay as he floods these minutes of that conversation with love-laden promises. All of which is supported by one idea which we pointed to already this morning. That the Lord would be with them because even though he was leaving, he was not leaving them alone. So we go to John 14, verse 1. Knowing as we get to John 14, 1, that these words really need to be allowed to control everything that comes after these words. And for us in the room today, that's true. It's true for the disciples back then. It's true for us today. Disciples of Jesus Christ need to know what Jesus is promising them. And so John 14, 1 sets the tone for everything we hear in John 14. Look at those words. Jesus had just told Peter of his impending failure and then says this, let not your hearts be troubled. And then, believe in God, believe also in me. Notice right up that the command to the disciples is that they would refuse to allow their hearts to be troubled. Go figure. How do disciples of Jesus grab their hearts Maybe grab their hearts by their bootstraps if there's such a thing and say, heart, stop being troubled. How's that supposed to work? Good thing God gives us the answer. This seemingly impossible command to keep can only be kept if and when we believe in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so note that the possibility of our troubled hearts is not 
just about our thinking being out of order. This is about the possibility of our souls being out of order. And the answer for souls that are out of order is for those souls to reorder their thinking before the Lord. Now, as I said, as we could and should take these words as general calling to faith in the minutes of our lives, in the now, in the present, we are not to allow our hearts to be troubled now. We are, we are to believe in God and His Son now. We know the now of the disciples, the presence of the, the present of the disciples is very complicated. We've already pointed that real life tension they were facing. They knew something was about to happen to Jesus or had a good sense. And that concerned them because they were pretty sure something was going to happen to them as well. That is what Jesus is going to talk to them about in John 14. Now, in a logical way, one might expect that considering the anxiety that was there, that Jesus would start by talking about the now. He would talk about life on earth. He would talk about what is happening right nearby. And he would probably start with words, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Everything will be okay. The Passover will, will be over. And we'll go back to Galilee. We'll get back to our work. Things will settle down. You'll see. <laughs> That's not what Jesus does. Not only does he not talk about the now immediately, He doesn't give those now assurances immediately. What he does is start with the then. The future. He talks to them about a life in eternity. Now you might be aware that John 14, 1-6 is a passage that is often used at Christian funerals. And rightly so. These are words of blessed assurance that the children of God should hang on to in two directions. Direction number one, Jesus tells His disciples about heaven. Direction number two, He tells His disciples that He will be with them in heaven. They will be with Him in heaven. And what He tells them is that plans are in place for the ultimate and final comfort and safety of being with the Lord in eternity in the then. Now, those of us who are here this morning should go to that place of assurance often. We love the idea of heaven, do we not? Even people who do not believe in Jesus kind of know about the idea of heaven and and probably are oriented in their hearts towards that, even though they don't understand it. I would tell you this, whatever it is you're facing today, you should know that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, the ultimate of comfort and safety is coming. This world is not your home. And so with verse 2 ringing in our ears, the words of verse 3 should be the song of songs in our hearts. As Jesus says about what he is doing, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a glorious then. Both the place and the presence of the then. And we might respond with perfect. Well, A perfect then. But then we admit that we are still struggling with the now. And the fact that the words of John 14, 1 should be connected to John 14, 2 and 3, of course. Those words call us to live 
in the face of turmoil in the now with the confidence of the then. Still, we all have huge, unanswered, now life questions, just like the disciples in those moments. In fact, it is Thomas who now jumps in that direction quickly. After Jesus affirms that he is going away and tells the disciples that they know the way he is going, Thomas says this, Duh, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus remarkably and definitively, but unexpectedly responds, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now get this. Thomas is indeed looking for a place where Jesus is going and wants directions to that place. Let me throw the map that we've been using about Jerusalem. Let me throw it back on the screen. As I indicated last week, maybe somewhere in here is the traditional kind of location of the upper room. So let's say the disciples are over here. What Thomas is saying is, Jesus, do we walk this way to get to the place? Do we walk this way to the place? Do we walk over here and then head up to Galilee again? Is that where we go, Jesus? Or should we go back to the Jordan Valley? Should we go over here to Joppa? Where should we go, Jesus? And then Jesus adds one of the most important phrases in John 14 right here. His point, I'm going to the Father. And you are going to the Father. But in answer to Thomas's question, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. Look at me. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And now with these words, you and I are launched into an in-depth discussion about being with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Note this. God the Father is repeatedly mentioned in John 14. By my count, about 24 times. Of course, Jesus is all over John 14 as well. And we will be introduced to the presence of the Holy Spirit here and then more in John 15 and 16. Still, what, may come, what comes at us may confuse us. But what Jesus does for his disciples is show them that he and his Father are one. And so if they want to be with him, they will also be with his Father. You see that in the next words in verse 7. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip jumps in with his rather human reaction. He calls on Jesus still to show him the Father. Verse 8. Verse eight which brings some level of rebuke from Jesus in verses 9 to 14. Clearly, Philip and the other disciples did not understand what Jesus, who Jesus was. But look at John 14, 9 to 11. Let me read those verses. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In summary... Jesus says, if you believe in God and you believe in me, verse 1, you'll believe in what he is doing. 
You will believe that we are one. And that belief will impact your living. And in fact, that's what we see in verses 12 to 15 in three directions. Look at verses 12 to 15. Three directions of believing that the Father and the Son are one. Verse number one, or verse 12, the fact that we believe in the Father and the Son will result in us doing the works of God. Great works, amazing works. Now we're going to talk more about this next week, about producing spiritual fruit in chapter 15. Secondly, in verses 13 to 14, we are told that those who believe in the Father and the Son will pray in a certain kind of way and will receive the answer to their prayers because of that. That is also a common theme in John 14 to 17. And thirdly, in verse 15, we are told that if we truly believe in the Father and the Son, our love for God will lead us to keep His commandments. Wow, do you see it? What a wonderful summary of knowing that we are with the Lord and He is with us and that we have understood who God is, that we believe in Him, that we would do His works, that we would pray with His heart, that we would keep His commandments. And that leads Jesus to go even further. But remember as we get to John 14, verse 16, that this whole discussion is about Jesus assuring His disciples that they will not be left alone. And it is here that the conditional promise of the Holy Spirit is underlined. Look at verses 16 to 18. Let me read those verses for us. Start with verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be, be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The summary Dear disciples, yes, first century disciples, yes, disciples in February 2024. If you believe in the Father and the Son, your life and your life proves it by the way you are living, you will know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Father will give you another helper. He will give you the Spirit of truth. You will know him because he will dwell with you and be in you. And in fact, that is the way I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. This is how I will come to you. And there you have it, the whole story. The story sounds like this. The don't let your hearts be troubled because you believe in God, I will not leave you alone story. Did you hear the story? You see, the crisis that stood before the disciples of Christ would be fully challenged by the eternal presence of being with Christ in the then but be proved by the earthly presence of the Holy Spirit in the now. Now Jesus is not yet done bringing assurance to his disciples. Look at verses 19 to 26 for a review of what we've seen. Verse 19 drives us forward. Jesus tells his disciples that because he lives, they will live. What a promise about what is about to happen. These words should take us certainly back to John 14one to 6 but then leave us celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 tells us that a day is coming when the disciples would understand all of this. That should have been a comfort to them, but you and I, we have the whole record right here. And we should understand it all today. Verse 21 keeps us speaking the, uh, speaks again of keeping the commandments of the Lord as evidence of relationship, of evidence of presence. 
a relationship of true love, a, a love that will prove itself in verified relationship. Again, we come back here next week. But Judas jumps in at verse 22, and in response to his concern, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Insert verse 1 here again. But then pause and take a deep breath because this is an amazing statement of confidence and joy and promise. But Jesus quickly throws the contrast to us about the absence of that joy, the absence of that confidence. When he says in verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the turmoil in that life continues. Which brings us to the next summary section. Look at John 14, 25 to 31. Jesus is seeking to settle his disciples down. He makes a connection between what Jesus is telling them now and what the Holy Spirit would verbally affirm for them in the days to come. In other words, they would not be left alone and they would be assured and explained, the words of Christ would be explained to them and affirmed for them later. And he summarizes this section by saying this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your, let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so we should connect 14.27 to 14.1, of course, And then if we know what's going to happen as Jesus moves through chapter 15 and 16 and just before he prays for his disciples, he says this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, in the now, in your life, you will have tribulation, trouble, struggle, hardship, question, But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the summary, the presence of God, our relationship with the Lord should bring peace to our souls, even in the face of the trouble of the now. Knowing again, like as repeated in verse 28, that the then was coming. That Jesus was going away, but he would come to take his own to be with him. And rather than that departure being horrible news, this was the good news plan of God. And as the chapter ends, Jesus reminds the disciples that the ruler of the world would stick his hand, his power, his head into the story in an attempted power move. But Jesus is the victor over that weak ruler because Satan has no power over Jesus. And having said those words, We have the words, the final words of Jesus in this chapter. Rise, let us go from here. It's unclear if they actually rose at that moment. And in fact, there's debate over that, but let's not get caught on that. I think the words of chapter 18, verse 1, explain to us that they didn't actually rise here. They may have started to rise. They may have gone a little bit into the courtyard. I don't know. And Jesus continued with chapter 15 and 16, before chapter 18 came, and they walked across the Kidron Valley to face that dark of night 
and the next day of darkness. So what should you and I do with John 14 today? Well, we should know that it's a powerful passage into our lives. The promise here of the Lord's presence and power should draw us and overwhelm us. But please know this. The presence of the Lord is not just about us being okay in the face of of trouble. It's not just about comfort or His powerful care. All those things are precious to us. This is not just about God challenging our life struggles with His presence and power and provision. Although Jesus is clear in John 14 that He made a way for, to challenge the trouble and fear with faith and presence, it is a clear that we have work to do and we need to believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and walk with Him and do His bidding. Still, all of this ultimately is not about us being okay in this life or even being okay in the next life. This is about the restoration of the created order. This is about God bringing us back to His heart fully and finally. He wants to be with us, in us, and He wants us to be in Him. That's what we will hear next week. It is true that while we are living with this now story, We struggle, even if we know Jesus, we struggle with the new creation presence of God reality in the now. And we do find ourselves at times troubled because our belief in God is troubled. So not only should we challenge that, but God gives us the invitation to long for the then. And we do long for heaven. Where in that place, and that presence, all will be as it should be. And I would tell you that if your heart is divided in this matter, that's okay. In fact, my heart is divided in this matter right now. That's okay. Here's what I mean by that. You see, we know of the now. We know that the Lord wants us to walk in the now. We know we have work to do. We know that we have the work of faithfulness to do in whatever story of darkness we might be facing or even what story of joy we might be facing. And so in the now, we accept, as followers of Jesus Christ, we accept the challenge. Our hearts are indeed willing for the Lord's will in this matter of living on earth with the possible turmoil of trouble. And then there's this other side. Because we know of the then. And our hearts long for the then. And that is good. And so in these last moments of this service, I encourage you to long for the then. To allow the hope and the promise of the then to give you strength in the now. In fact, let's end our service in this direction. We're going to have that time of quiet personal prayer. So go to the Lord. You and the Lord. And after that time of prayer, we're going to sing a song that might be new to you. I love this song. Allow the words of this prayer, because that's what they are, words of prayer, to come to you and fill your heart with the delight of what is coming and the covenant of what you will do in the present, in the now. Lord, hear our prayers. Come to us with power, we pray. Thank you, Father.